Today, we have a segment of Ask Rachel here on the show, where I get to sit down and talk to you and listen to your super thoughtful, beautiful questions. Today, I answer questions about boundaries and particularly around how to navigate a tumultuous time in a relationship following having set a boundary. I talk about how the words we speak to ourselves really do shape our reality. We get into rituals that we can ground into during stressful times and uh, talk about parenting from the heart. And we also talk a little bit about composting. I don't know. It's just a really beautiful episode. I loved your questions this week. A consistent body care routine is really important part of my self-care. I feel so much better when my skin is looking and feeling good. It's such a small thing that has a big impact on your overall day for your well-being. A consistent body care routine doesn't just promote healthy glowing skin, it actually boosts our mental health too. So give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven seaweed infused skincare that provides results you can see and confidence that you can feel. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Butter is not your typical body butter. It transforms dry, crepey skin to smooth, soft, and supple skin, and it's my absolute favorite. I use Osea's products religiously, and I have been for years. It really is the best out there. One of the best parts about the body butter is that it's non-greasy. I hate putting on body lotion and feeling slippery and sticky all day, but Osea's body butter absorbs right into your skin, leaving you feeling hydrated and ready to make the best of whatever is next on your agenda. And it's been shown to hydrate you for 72 hours after applying. Skin care is self-care, so this is a habit worth keeping all year round. With Osea, you will get clean, seaweed-infused products from a company with over 27 years of experience, making sure they are the safest for your skin and the planet. All of Osea's products are vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out with clean skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Let's jump in. Hello, my darlings, my friends. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. I am going to try my best to ground a little bit as I'm beginning the podcast today. I am on such a high right now, <laughs> which maybe is a nice change from all the very, very intense lows I feel like I've been sharing on the podcast. We have had a very tumultuous just life. <laughs> I was going to say very, very tumultuous past weeks, but actually it's been a pretty tumultuous couple of months. And I'm like, well, isn't life always kind of like a roller coaster? Well, we've had a, we've had a lot of lows lately really come our way. And I feel like I've sat down here to record the show and and cried a lot and just felt my feelings a lot and been down and low and we're navigating grief and death and goodbyes and disease and family stuff and pregnancy and you know it's just been a lot and now today as I'm sitting down to record this I am in a totally different space just for right now and I feel so grateful for that I'm just on a high I feel so 
happy, excited, a little bit scattered all over the place. And the reason I am on a high, and this is like a ridiculous thing, I can't believe this is something this simple makes me this happy. (laughs) But we had new curtains installed in our house today. (laughs) Today, like even saying that, like I have to laugh because it's ridiculous that something that simple makes me this joyful. But seriously, um, we had curtains installed in our house. We've been living here now since Christmas. It's, what is it, three months we've been in this house. And um, I feel like we've done a fair amount of nesting already. I am kind of, since before we moved in, I've been in that process of, yeah, just, you know, renovating and fixing and buying new furniture and figuring life in this new house out and getting it cozy and ready and And there are just certain things that take a long time and certain things that you have to wait for and certain things that are really expensive that, you know, you can't do everything at the same time. And uh, one of the things that I've had to kind of be patient about is curtains in this house. And today was the day (laughs) when finally (laughs) curtains for the whole house arrived all at the same time. And it's kind of funny because so many things that I've been waiting on that just took a long time to get ready, all aligned this one week. Everything happened at the same time. And I really think it's the energy of spring. I really think it's that Aries, like we've left the Pisces kind of emotional, flowy, you know, intuitive, dreamy, (laughs) kind of untethered, (laughs) slow energy. And now we've entered the fire. We've left water and we've entered fire. Fire of Aries, fire of get shit done, fire of now. That's really such a such a, such an Aries trait is like I don't want to wait. I want it now. Like now. And I really <laughs> feel like feel like that that just happened this week. So we had we had rugs come in, our new couches that I've been trying I've been agonizing over for a really long time trying to choose the right ones and it just it was just very hard for me. It's hard for me to make decisions overall. So like, you know, getting a house in order is very <laughs> time consuming for me because I can't make I can make big life decisions. I can't make little insignificant decisions. That's the most most difficult thing for me. Um yeah, so we got rugs, we got couches, all of a sudden curtains are coming, just a bunch of things coming together. The baby room is kind of <laughs> happening. Dennis is putting together a crib today, not a crib, the crib, which I know is completely unnecessary because this baby boy is probably not going to sleep in there for a very, very long time. But it's part of getting to the end of pregnancy. It's like wanting everything in order, right? And there is no comparison for me. I cannot, and I'm trying to explain this to Dennis because he can't He can't get on my level when it comes to these things, but the feeling of satisfaction that I feel when we get something done around the house, even if it's minor, even if it's like we're hanging a lamp, right? And it's not complicated. It's like, there's already the outlet. There's already, there was a lamp there before. We're just, we're just hanging a lamp, you know? (laughs) And for some reason, it's just, just when that thing gets done and there's that lamp there, (laughs) like Dennis actually like, you know, gets his little toolbox and like gets the ladder and he goes up there and he, he hangs that stupid lamp up that I've been like wanting to get hung for a long time. It's just, you know, 
things take time. <laughs> things take time, especially if you're married to a Caribbean man. And then it, it happens and I'm just like, oh my God, I love it. I love it so much. And it's not just like, I love the lamp or I love that the room is now illuminated or functioning or beautiful. It's like, I love the satisfaction of checking that thing off of my list. <laughs> that feeling of we are one step closer now to having a fully like complete house. <laughs> um, that feeling, I can't compare it to anything right now. I really cannot. It is a high. It is like just so satisfying. And I think part of that is because this is, you know, we moved to a we moved from a tiny cabin to a farm. The list of things that we want to get done. When I say we, it's like mostly me. <laughs> the list of things, the list of projects and huge things that we could, you know, work on not just inside of the house, but like on the farm, literally could fill a lifetime. Like we could spend a lifetime working on this little farm. Like we totally could. There's a gazillion things to do. So there's never going to be that kind of like, oh, we're finished here. Part of this lifestyle of living the way we're living now is that there's always going to be work. And for me, getting close to the end of pregnancy, I want the inside of our house to feel as complete as it can so that I can take on this fairly large project of, you know, giving birth, <laughs> kind of a big deal, you know, having a newborn, inviting a new little human into our family, postpartum time, the newborn days, oh my God, navigating everything, everything that comes after that. So everything that we get done around the house, is just, like I, I love I love it so much. And the curtains look so beautiful. It also means that now finally, like now we have curtains in the bedroom. Sweden now, it's very, very, very bright early in the morning. And it's we have so much snow. And I feel like really the snow makes it brighter. Like everything reflects off of the white. So I am up at the crack of dawn every single day, just like like a vampire would wake up. You know, like I'm not ready to wake up. I'm way too pregnant to be up like this early. Like I, I really could be sleeping two more hours at least. But once I'm awake, I realize I immediately have to pee because I have to pee all the time. And then I have to get up because I have to pee. Getting out of bed is a process for me. Like it, I don't just get out of bed. It's like it requires some courage, some bravery, some effort, some support, like just to get out. I have so much pelvic pain, especially in the morning. And then getting out of bed and then I go pee. And when I've done that, like I'm up, you know, I'm not going back to sleep. Like I'm up. So just having curtains in the bedroom when the guys were here installing it and they just like held them up to check the height. I had this almost like Pavlovian response of, oh, I just need to lie down. <laughs> I almost, as they just held them up because it just cocoon, the whole room became like a cocoon. And it was immediately so cozy and it got dark. And I was like, oh my God, I, I need to lie down. I need, I need sleep. I need to just lie down. Like, please. <laughs> Almost lay down right in front of them. But so, yeah. So I, um, I'm really, really, really happy about this house. And I have been for a long time. It's a beautiful house, but it's really starting to feel like a home now. Um, and that's something right? And I know not everybody has that same, I also know it's like an, it's also an, 
astrological thing. You know, not not all of us care a ton about ambiance, about, you know, interior design, about certain things. Like for a lot of people, just having having a place to live is, is enough. And like Dennis, like my husband is like that. Like he, once something is complete, he really appreciates it. Like he really can tell the difference. But we've been living without, you know, curtains or rugs or couches in the living room or with makeshift stuff that we put together and and he doesn't notice like he's he's just as long as he has as he has a place to sit like like it doesn't it really doesn't matter to him he he's not thinking oh i need to i need to fix this thing here or i need to we really need to get a rug in here for example like that's something that i think about every single day it's like waking up in the morning my feet are cold this house is built in 1909 it's a it's a you know 100 and can I do math? 114 years old. And the house breathes, you know, there's like little gaps between the planks of the wooden floor. It's cold, like in the morning. And I have that visceral feeling of like, I want my bare feet to touch like something soft here, you know, like when I get out of bed, like I want something soft underneath my bed to like place my feet down first thing in the morning. Or in the living room, like we have some furniture there, but we don't have the rug to like tie it all together. And I think about that every day, you know, like, oh, I can't wait for the rug to get here. Dennis just hates rugs. He thinks rugs are like <laughs> the most evil, annoying. He's just, he's just annoyed by them. He just thinks like, oh, it's just a place for like, eventually a dog is going to pee on it and I'm going to have to <laughs> get it clean <laughs> or a child is going to spill on it or... Like, what's the point, you know? But then when we have a whole room ready, like now we finally have like our upstairs living room, which is like where the TV is. So at the end of the day, like we spend time, there's where we watch our shows. You know, it's like a very important part of the house. And now finally it's getting ready. Like we actually have a couch there. We have a rug there. We have a coffee table we have cute little lamps. I brought in some plants. We have curtains in the living room. I mean, it's a whole new experience. Like it's a whole new, yeah, it's a room now. Like it's a home now. Whereas before we had this like very raggedy, smelly, like old couch that the old owners left behind. And you only leave furniture behind if it's, if it's crap. <laughs> I mean, let's just, let's just call it as it is. You don't leave a couch behind unless it's like... <laughs> something you want to get rid of. And we've been using that for these months. And I've just been, everyone loved it, actually. Everyone who visited was like, oh, this is such a great couch they left behind. That's so awesome. And I'm just, I'm like, it's not ours. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it's not, it's not what we want. I'm really happy we have it. So we had a place to sit all this time. But I've just been waiting to like, you know, get our couch in here. And now it's ready and it's beautiful. And now Dennis goes, oh, it's really nice in here now. And I'm like, yeah, it's like really comfortable now. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Then he's like, okay, yeah, this is good. But the process of getting there, he's just like, would prefer, I think, to not, not be involved at all. (sighs) I'm speaking very quickly. Am I? (laughs) Actually, it's just, I'm really appreciating having energy feeling excited, having some joy, 
I shared some like little before and after snippets of stuff on my social media and like a lot of people on social media get excited with me. So I know I'm not the only one to feel really accomplished and, you know, complete when we like fix things around our homes. It's so important. I'm a Libra, so I'm like, I'm all about ambiance, you know, and aesthetics and feeling. I'm not so great at the design stuff, mostly because I can't make decisions. Literally for the life of me, cannot make (laughs) decisions on my own. I have to ask everyone I know before I can make any decision about anything regarding like a color of paint or, you know, stuff like that. Like I'm not great at that interior design part, but I am very great. I'm great at ambiance. I'm great at like putting it all together, making, like making a house into a home, like that part, getting things really cozy and homey. Like I I really am. That's my thing. And as this pregnancy gets... (laughs) further and further. I am officially 30 and a half weeks, almost 31 weeks pregnant. And I feel like once you hit the 30s, it it's it starts getting real, right? Like we know, once you hit the 30s, it's like, okay, okay. <laughs> I only have like a couple of weeks left before baby technically is full term. And if this pr- end of this pregnancy is going to be anything like the end of the pregnancy with Leia, I know I'm in for a, I'm in for a ride. Okay. It's not going to get easier as these weeks progress. And, and um, it just feels really good to use the energy I have now and that feeling of go to, yeah, to get things cozy and nested here. So that's where I am <laughs> right now. I um, am going to take some questions from all of you today. We have a segment of Ask Rachel um, on today's show, which always is one of my favorite things to record. As usual, I have no idea what we're going to end up talking about. I'm kind of guessing we're going to get some baby questions. I don't know. But I will play you the question and I hear it for the first time as you hear it for the first time. And then we see where this conversation takes us. Are you ready for spring? I sure am. Over here in Sweden, I make it my business to get outside and get some sunlight on my skin each and every day. But in the winter, that can be really hard, and your body will feel the effect of that. Did you know that 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Luckily, Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. Ritual is a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. You get nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. And the best part, you can trust what you are putting in your body because Ritual has the USP verified mark. That means that the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. And only 1% of supplement brands are able to get this mark. So it's a big deal. Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I have taken Ritual for years because of reasons like this. I love knowing that the ingredients in my vitamins are actually doing their job. Otherwise, what's the point? 
No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Okay, let's listen to our first question of the day. Hey, Rachel. Thank you so, so much for opening up this space for us to be able to ask you a question. And I just finished listening to your latest Q&A about pregnancy and sitting with tea and actually got a tea cake from my sister-in-law actually about a year ago or a little bit more. So I'm, I'm excited to dig in and sit with tea and what a beautiful way to realize that I have tea sitting right in a bag um, in my pantry. So I have been going through a little bit of a rough patch with my sister. She is my best friend, one of my soulmates, and she is my sister. And I recently set a pretty hard boundary with her and I was realizing how much of a people pleaser I've been, especially with the relationship we've had and my me taking over and caring for my mother. Um, and we both have, but I've kind of taken in that role of being my mom for my sister. And so I, you know, set some hard boundaries and now we are barely speaking and it really has broken my heart. So I'm I'm just wondering if you have any kind of advice or what, would be your next steps in this and figuring this out with her um, or within myself. But thank you so much, Rachel, and hope to hear from you soon. Oh, thank you so much for sending this very deep and important question my way. <laughs> of course, I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit teary-eyed just listening to you because, of course, this scenario that you're describing resonates with something happening in my own life <laughs> right now. I just love how synchronistic these questions are. Every single time we do them, it blows my mind. So the first thing I want to just, or the first thing that kind of comes to me is when we start setting boundaries, sometimes we have this idea or we have this hope, I think. Yeah, it's not just an idea. It's the hope that I'm going to communicate my needs now and you're going to meet them, right? Because that's that's like the decent thing to do, right? I mean, it's just like, it's, it's something that we we want this or we expect this from the other person or we want them to do more of something or less of something or stop something or respect what we need, right? And we sometimes kind of from that idea of, okay, well, this is gonna, this has to happen or this relationship can't continue. I have to communicate this or I can't go on the way things have been. So this other person has to kind of change, right? Every time we set a boundary, having that boundary respected, if it's a new boundary or if it's a new person we're setting a boundary with, it does require, maybe not for the human, for the person to change, but it requires a change in behavior from them. And expecting that and hoping for that sometimes is, is a little bit naive. And I'm saying that with so much love, saying that as someone who, who has been there many times, 
um, and continues to arrive at that same place of um, setting a boundary here. And how hard is it to meet that boundary? How hard is it to meet me where I am? And then just not having that accepted, right? Not having that respected at all. Having the person on the other end give complete pushback or start a huge amount of drama or mistakenly think that the boundary I'm setting means that something's wrong with them or means that, you know, taking it as a personal attack versus just objectively holding that boundary as, oh, this is my friend, sister, daughter, mother, whoever, just communicating their needs, right? So if every single time we set a boundary, it required the other person to actually respect it. And if that was the only way we could ever possibly set boundaries, like we would never move forward in that place in our lives because it's just not going to be the case. And I think it really depends on emotional maturity, definitely how much work the other person has done on themselves, but it also depends on the relationship. We have some relationships, I'm sure you can resonate with this just personally, where I have relationships where certain people can set boundaries with me super easily. And I have no problem understanding that, respecting that. I don't take it personally. I just know, oh, this is just them saying what they need, right? And it can be something as simple as, you know, I'm reaching out to someone with a problem or I want to vent about something. And then my friend goes, hey, I like, I love you. I just, I don't have the bandwidth for this in my life right now. And it's like, that's a boundary. That's like, oh, I don't have the time or the space or the energy or whatever. I don't even need to know the reason. I just can't be there for you in the capacity that you need right now. And if it's that person, I'm like immediately, oh, no problem. I get it. I like, I have the exact same feeling a lot of the time when I'm overwhelmed. Uh, it's beautiful to be able to communicate with my people that I, I love you, but I can't help you with this right now. But then there are other people in my life that maybe would communicate the same thing or something very similar, but because the relationship is complicated, because the relationship maybe dates further back, I find family is so much harder than friendship, right? If it's a relationship, especially where we might have felt like the balance between giving and receiving hasn't always been there, all of a sudden that person sets a boundary like, I can't help you with this right now. And I'm like, whoa, whoa haven't I helped you with everything your entire life? <laughs> and I can laugh at that now because it's ridiculous, right? But there are certain relationships where a boundary triggers something old inside of us or something that something that feels muddied, muddied to us in that relationship or triggers the fact that we haven't set boundaries the way we ha have wanted to in the past, and then it's hard for us to, to respect and understand that boundary. Does that make sense? So an example of this is, I think this sibling relationship is like a really great example of this overall. If you are an older sibling or if you've had that kind of parental role a little bit with your, with your sibling, which is something I've had my whole entire life. I was like the mom to my little sisters and brothers my whole life. And having that feeling like I have given so much of myself. I have dropped everything a thousand times, flown across the world to support, to be there. Like I would literally, like I had years of my life, like I would die for you. Like I would do, I've, I've done so much, but I gave too much, right? I gave too much. I put myself in that role of being parent versus being big sister. 
And I, and I, and eventually if you give and give and give and give, it's not so much the other person's fault anymore, right? It's my lack of actually saying, Hey, I can't give anymore. Hey, I need to focus on myself right now. Hey, I've given too much. Hey, this is not okay with me. And then I never set those boundaries. And then all of a sudden they come my way and they're setting boundaries with me that triggers something old in me. But the really important thing to hold is that that's not their fault, right? That's not about them. Literally, like I'm feeling triggered right now because I failed myself in the past. And I find that especially triggers that come up around boundary setting can be so valuable, like really a teaching, a teaching moment. Now, maybe what I just shared doesn't apply, you know, exactly to you in this relationship, but just holding the fact that the important thing is setting the boundary, not having the boundary respected. Does that make sense? (laughs) Um, Because it's setting the boundary, communicating the boundary. That means that we have understood and fully realized and are respecting our own needs I know now this is not okay with me. This is what I need. I'm communicating that. And then what the other person does with that, that's kind of secondary, right? That's the next, it's not as important. Um, They might choose to respect that boundary and change a behavior or do something wonderful. Like that's amazing. Like you can go (laughs) a million wonderful directions from there. They might also say, fuck you right? Who the fuck are you to set boundaries with me or say this or expect this from me when you did that? And, you know, and it becomes dramatic and it becomes hard. But since you've already made that commitment to yourself of here is what I accept, here is what I allow, moving forward from that place is going to be much less complicated. And whatever the answer is, if it's okay, we have space now, we're not talking for a while, I'm ending this relationship, I am curating this relationship and allowing it in certain scenarios. I have some relationships that work like that for me where I have set boundaries with a person, had them not respected and then decided, okay, that means that, you know, I'm not going to be hanging out with this person in these scenarios, right? I'm going to avoid them in these scenarios because they always end up doing something really triggering toward me. And I don't want to treat myself that way. So I'm going to see them for these gatherings, or I'm going to see them in these scenarios, or I'm going to see them in these non-charged moments where I feel safe and I, you know, I, I, where I know I can make sure my needs are met. So there's no right or wrong. There's no black and white. There's no here's, it's a boundary or it's not a boundary. Like it's a hell yes or a hell no. It's not really like that when it comes to, to setting boundaries, because you end up with so many choices depending on what happens afterwards. The important thing and the crucial thing and the thing that really starts changing our lives is that when we start communicating our needs, when we start realizing and understanding our needs. And it only takes one person in a relationship to change for the whole dynamic of that relationship to change. And I would just trust that even if things are very tumultuous now or dramatic or hard and heavy, just that that's to be expected, right? If you've had one dynamic your whole entire lives and you've had one role for her your whole entire lives and all of a sudden you decide to change, like you decide to change, to communicate something different, all of a sudden you change kind of the rules of the game that as far as she knows, you guys have been playing your whole entire life. Like that's a lot to process. That's a big thing to digest. 
and probably very hard to separate from from it being personal, you know, interpreting it as like, oh, something's wrong with me, or I have to change who I am, or, you know, like it's an attack versus it's just you communicating what you need. So allowing for that time period to be really rocky, I think just expecting it, like it would be weird. Imagine if you have a whole lifetime in this one dynamic of here's how things are, and then all of a sudden you go and you change the game, if she went, oh, but that's great. <laughs> no problem with me. Fine by me. <laughs> like that would be kind of, that would be odd, right? That would be like almost, whoa. So I think just the fact that it's rocky, it just means that you're finding a new, better way to relate to each other. And that might come in a few weeks. It might come in a few months. It might not come at all. You know, we never know what lies on the other side of that. But the thing that you know that you can always trust and I think really hold very close to your heart as you move through the pain of things being rocky, of things being challenging, is that you're you're choosing yourself. And whenever we witness a person in a relationship choosing themselves, even if it's hard and heartbreaking for us and triggering for us, like there's something magnificent in that. There's something really empowering and beautiful and well aligned in that. And I think with time, I mean, yeah, I've seen that in some of my most challenging relationships that with time, the more I stand really tall in my, my decision to choose myself, the easier it is for the other person to sort of follow my lead a little bit there right? It's like I'm, I'm becoming an anchor in this relationship of here is how I choose to treat myself. And then the other person is going to kind of sway around and feel really wobbly for a while and eventually find an anchor in themselves too. Because I really think it is the natural order of things. Like we don't want that kind of discord. We don't want someone to be self-sacrificing, to be a martyr, to, to be the mother when they're not a mother. Like there's something not in alignment with that relationship there. And I think when you start just continuing to choose you and fill yourself up and meet your own needs, like the energy of that relationship eventually might follow, you know? So the only thing you can do is just make sure you are as okay and as grounded for as long as the boat feels really rocky, right? Just keep taking care of you and trust that, she knows really well how to take care of her. And probably you've modeled that, right? I feel, uh, <laughs> I sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just, I wish like come over for a cup of tea so we can just like vent about what's happening <laughs> in our lives because it's so very, it's so very similar. I really feel you. Thank you for asking this question. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. So just imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. 
I have always loved learning languages. I speak four fluently. They're so interesting. And I've even noticed that sometimes the language you speak can influence pieces of your personality. Learning my husband's native language made us understand each other on a whole new level. Now Babbel has gifted me my own account and I can't wait to dive in. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you actually start speaking a new language. It's designed by real people for real conversations. And their advanced speech recognition is like having your own personal language coach to help you improve your pronunciation so you can get prepped and confident for real-world conversations. Just 15 hours with Babbel is equal to one university semester. Overall, they have more than 13,000 hours of learning content, and you can browse more than 20,000 courses offered every month. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash yoga. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash yoga, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash yoga. Rules and restrictions may apply. Let's take another one. Hi, Rachel. My name is Hannah. I'm from the state of Minnesota. And I'm totally relating to your Swedish cold but magical winter days. I wanted to ask for some advice. I've had a tough past few years with the pandemic and my work environment, my home environment, and even just like the environment inside my head. But I feel like I'm on the verge of some sort of spiritual awakening and reconnection to something much bigger than me. But I think it's going to take courage and curiosity. So I'm wondering, can you give me advice on how to lean into this time and allow myself to just experience this? Thank you. I love you. Take care. Oh, hi, Hannah. Oh, <laughs> I could cry. I, I could cry right now. What a what a hard and beautiful time. Oh, my God. That That time... The, the saying, the most cliche saying of all time, it's darkest before the dawn. It is a cliche for a reason because it's it's just so fucking true. It really, really is. And that feeling of, okay, I've been through the thick of it. It's been really hard. It's been really heavy. And then all of a sudden, something new starts to kind of stir inside of us. Like that feeling, being on the precipice of something where we can almost see it. We can almost taste it. Like we know there is a, a greater thing at play. There is a, a bigger purpose for all of this. Like it's actually taking me somewhere like to a great awakening. Like that moment is so precious. It really is. It really is so precious, so special. And we can't be there. We can't arrive at that place in any capacity without having been through the really heavy and the really hard it's not something we can conjure up in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of everything being wonderful, in the midst of getting new curtains delivered to our house. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it really requires that dark night of the soul. Awakenings don't just arrive one day for no reason, right? Um, we have to go through that, through the dark forest and learn what we're supposed to learn and face what we're supposed to face and have the agony and uncertainty and the anxiety and the doubt of, of, of everything that that entails to eventually arrive at that beginning of the break of dawn. 
right? Because it sounds like that's where you are. You're not in the full, like busted through daylight of holy shit, I had this massive awakening, but you're feeling it coming your way, right? And I just, you, you said it so beautifully yourself, like you're good. It's going to require some curiosity and some courage to step into this new life, whatever it is, whether it's a new actual life circumstance or a new way of living life or a new way of looking at life. We can live the same exact way, go to the same job, wake up in the same bed and have all of life change just from us changing our perspective or us changing how we look at life or us changing our understanding of what life is. And that curiosity and that that courage, like you're you're already exhibiting that. <laughs> like you decided to call in to this podcast to ask this question like that on a, like, is like, can you get more curious than that? Like that's how, how you're out there already seeking and looking and calling things in. So first of all, I would love to invite you to just anchor into the fact that you are already living that. It's not like, how do I, how do I reach for that curiosity? How do I reach for that courage? You're, you're already in it. You're already curious. You're already courageous. You're already in that phase right now of calling in what you need. And us having this little conversation right now is, is, is just proof of that. So start looking around a little bit more at your life and your life situation the way it is now and look at what's different. Like what little actions are you already taking that are different from how you used to live? the questions you're asking, the books you're reading, the podcasts you're listening to, the patterns and how your thoughts form, the things that you're thinking, has your self-care practice, your spiritual practice like actively changed? And it could be little, little things. I'm not talking, you know, quitting a corporate job, going to live in an ashram in India, like kind of change. But it could be little things in your day-to-day, probably that you are already actively doing just to honor that, right? Just to really honor yourself and the fact that you are actively stepping into a new phase in your life. And it's not something in the future. It's not something that might come your way or something you have to really fight to hold on to. Like it's already happening. You're doing it now. And all those little shifts and changes, they are accumulating and they are shaping something brand new for you. So I would definitely keep going in the direction you're going, keep doing what you're doing. If you're feeling ready for something to really accelerate and to step into something brand new, I would pray for that. And when I say pray, I mean, really set that sacred conscious intention for what you are longing for. Sit down in whatever spiritual sacred spaces that you come to Come to yourself, come to your practice and speak that longing out loud from your heart in words that really align and resonate with you. You know, I'm ready for my great awakening. I'm ready to leave my old life behind. You know, I'm ready for healing. I, I'm calling it like, what is it exactly? Can you define it so that it's very clear for you? And in that way, when you communicate it, when you repeat it to yourself, when you think of it, when you write about it, when you pray for it, the universe can listen. So get really 
clear on what your heart's longing is right now. What is it that you are actively reaching for, that you're actively calling in? Um, just so that you have that clarity inside and you know what part of this path you're actually on. I would do that 100%. And then maybe now is a really good time to have some extra support. I don't know. You can see how you how you vibe with the idea of that. An extra support can literally come from a person that's already in our lives, a trusted person to talk to, but maybe just deepening that relationship a little bit more or getting more vulnerable or talking more about the things that you're experiencing right now. But it could also mean calling in a spiritual teacher. It could also mean, you know, stating very clearly that you are ready for a teacher in your life to appear. And spiritual teachers come in so many shapes and forms, you know, it can be the, yeah, it can be the vinyasa yoga teacher you go to every Tuesday night. It can be your grandmother that you see every two months or on weekends. It can be a, a absolute stranger that you have yet to meet or come by. It can be someone who authored a book and, and that teaching is going to come to you through that book. Someone whose teachings are recorded that you can listen to from afar. It can be someone who's passed on. It can be someone who's living. Spiritual teachers are everywhere. And I think when we start opening up to them and actually inviting them in, that's when we start to, that's when they come our way. That's when all of a sudden we see a flyer for a workshop of some sort or we come across a person recommends us to listen to something or go see someone or talk to someone or it could also be a therapist, it could also be someone who works in trauma healing. Like it can be a, an expert in that field, but it can also be a regular everyday person. But getting clear on whether or not we want that kind of support at this stage um, and then just opening up to that, you know, getting clear on our longing and then potentially calling in just some extra reinforcement so that we have someone or something steady to lean on. Because awakening <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's work, right? It's a lot of, it's going to be tumultuous. It's going to, you know, it's coming from that dark night of the soul and then we're brand new babies in a new world and it feels like beautiful and light and kind of we made it and we learned stuff but who are we now? What are we supposed to do with our lives now? All of a sudden, maybe we don't like the same things we used to like, or we don't enjoy spending time with the people that we've always spent time with, or all of a sudden, it's like we're wearing shoes that are two sizes too small. We just need, yeah, we don't know what we need. And it can be really scary and vulnerable and intimate to, to enter the world that way. So having someone to, to lean on as we explore a new version of ourselves I think is always a good idea, you know, to not, to not feel alone. I hope <laughs> these answers, I'm just speaking completely from, yeah, from my intuition now, but I hope they align. And um, thank you for trusting me with this question. Let's go to the next one. Hi, Rachel. My name is Marlene. I'm calling from Utah. I have a question about making soil. I'm really into Bukashi. I never heard you mention Bokashi at some point, too. And um, I want to make the soil indoors because it's cold outside and I don't want to wait to get the soil until spring. 
Yeah, so I have created a sort of factory inside, but I know you have a thing about mold, and so do I, and part of creating uh, food of, of um, soil of food scraps is mold. So any words of wisdom for me there? Um, I have it in a closed box, but I'm still fearing the mold. Let me know if you have any wisdom on this. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> okay, now I'm laughing because I uh I started I started our Bokashi compost yesterday. <laughs> okay. Like I I I thought these thoughts yesterday. <laughs> I had the thoughts about mold. Um I've never composted actively indoors before. And now here you are asking me this question. I just, I love, I love us all so much. Can I just say, I love us, all of us. I love us and how much we align and, and think and feel alike. So first of all, I just, I just reacted a little bit to, to, to the phrasing of that question, like creating soil. So how I like to think of it is like soil is outside, right? Like the earth has what we need and what, whatever I'm working on indoors is, um, I'm, I'm supporting the growth of the nutrients that the soil that Mother Earth already so beautifully has for me needs. Mostly, you know, why, why does she need nutrients? Well, mostly because the, the soil has been completely depleted in a lot of places or mostly. And uh, she could use a little support from us, right? So what we're doing is just creating more of the food for the soil and the food that the plants are going to need and the nutrition that is so, so important whenever we want to grow anything, right? Um, and we had, so living in Aruba, which is when I started gardening in the first place, we didn't have a composting system at all. We st I started one and I got one of those, it was like a, like a huge plastic bin that would turn, like I could twist it. So it would, turn, it's supposed to turn the compost. And what happened, because I had just very little knowledge of how composting worked and the amount of green versus brown material that I needed and how to actually create that symbiotic balance between all the microorganisms for it, for the compost to actually work. And this compost was sitting out in the sun and it was a black bin and it just, it got crazy. It got really disgusting. I ended up having just rotting food that sat in the sun, even though it was a sealed container, it smelled. And I just realized pretty quickly, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I tried and I'm going to, I'm going to drop this. <laughs> so, so we ended up not having an active composting system um, there. And then when we moved to Sweden, it was so natural for me to start a regular compost because I grew up with a compost. My grandmother had a compost at our countryside place. It was just, it was never a disgusting, smelly thing. It was never something that felt like moldy or, you know, it, it was just like where we brought the food scraps after dinner or after cooking. And, uh, and, and eventually like at the end of the season or the beginning of next season, she would open that up with a shovel and like, and it just looked like dirt. It just looks like soil and bring it to the, to the kitchen garden. Like that was my just point of reference. And it was always at a corner of the garden. It was never close to like right next to the house. You always had to do a little trek with your little bucket there. And we moved to Sweden and I'm like, let's get a regular, 
<laughs> like garden, kitchen, compost. So we did that and we ended up, because we did so much gardening in our, in our first place. We lived here in Sweden. We had so much garden waste. We ended up having like a really big, beautiful system that I think we're going to get to reap the benefits of this season now. Um, it's Everything's frozen still here, so I haven't been to check on it for a little while. But I wanted to start Bokashi composting, which is this very specific system where you use these, this kind of Bokashi straw, which is just microorganisms and, and fungi and bacteria and microbes um, that you put on top of the food scraps. And the difference with Bokashi, I'm not an expert, by the way, you guys know I started yesterday, okay? The difference is you keep it in a sealed container. And when it's totally full, you, you're done, so it's always completely sealed. And if you've done it right and you have that balance right, it shouldn't smell. It shouldn't mold. Um, it should be it should be fine. <laughs> like it should be odorless. It should be and it should compost very quickly as well. So it shouldn't be rotting food sitting in a bin, right? But it actually turns into compost very, very quickly. And as I started yesterday, I just had that thought of like, well, what if like, like this is still a moist environment? Like what if, what if mold grows here? What if, what if? And then immediately I had that feeling of like, well, if it does, then I know that something's off and something's not in balance. And that's that. I don't have to freak out about it. I don't have to worry about it. Um, like I have two weeks and then I, and then I check, right? So there's always the possibility to just change something if something is out of balance or not, not in order. It's not the end of the world. And I often feel like mold is the end of the world and mold is, you know, because mold was the end of the world for us. Um, I'm trying to ground my mindset a little bit more in that, you know, if I, or when I come across mold again in my life, which I will, like, it's not the end of the world. Like, we'll, we'll deal with that. I'm never again going to have like a whole house infested with mold and not know what's going on. And, you know, because we know, we know more how to live now and how to take care of our home environment. But so I don't know what your setup is. Like, are you, do you have like a soil factory in your house and you're just producing massive amounts of compost sitting in piles? Like, I don't think so, you know? So just, yeah, that reminder that if it's balanced, it shouldn't, it should feel natural. You know, it should feel clean um, and clean and, and <laughs> clean how soil and compost <laughs> can feel clean. Do you, do you, you know what I mean? So just, I don't know. I don't know if, if I can answer your question any better than what I said, because I know so little about Bokashi specifically. But I think it's wonderful that you're giving nature a helping hand. It's wonderful that we're minimizing and reducing our waste. Um, everything that would go to a dump literally becomes nutrients for the earth. I mean, how there's nothing more satisfying and more beautiful than that. I just... <sighs> I think honestly, even if I didn't have a kitchen garden, just knowing that my food scraps are becoming compost, I could go dump that onto the lawn. I could throw it into the woods. It would become part of the earth. That feeling is magnificent. And I think we should all, if we can, um, have a little composting system. And it's so easy to start. And actually, I'm, when I learn more about Bokashi, I will, I will talk about it. But from what I hear, because you keep it in sealed containers, it literally lives, like we our, our container lives under our sink. Um, you can do it in your apartment. You can do it. You technically can do it in your bedroom and it should not smell or be gross or rot or anything like that. 
that means that just composting becomes so much more accessible. We don't have to have this huge garden bin and a big garden and stuff. Like we can, we can do it in the city too. And I bet you, even if you're not growing anything, I bet you there is a garden store or a gardener or a person with a little kitchen garden somewhere who would be so happy to receive your compost. And if not, take it to the park, you know, take it to the forest, like take it, bring it back to, to earth. So thanks for asking this question. Bread is life. In fact, my entire family absolutely loves bread. But I like to make sure that what we're eating counts. And if you're like me, you're going to love Hero Bread. Hero Bread makes those same delicious bready favorites free of consequences or compromises. They have remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar and protein and fiber. Think of that soft, fluffy experience that you love when you're enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. But now it's made to really nourish you deeply. Hero Bread has something for every favorite, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. My team tried Hero Bread and said it was the most fulfilling thing ever, but it also felt lighter and healthier. So switch to Hero Bread now and you won't be disappointed. They even have a monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites like the 2-gram net carb herb croissant or the 1-gram net carb herb cheddar biscuit. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code yogagirl at checkout. That's yogagirl at h-e-r-o dot c-o. Let's go to the next one. Hi, Rachel. My name is Jessica. I am from West Virginia, and I have followed you uh, since the very beginning of your podcast. Um, I feel like I really resonate with your ways of life and your choices, and I just love, love hearing about what you have going on. Um, My question for you today relates to parenting. I have two little girls, and um, I just wonder if you have read any books or listened to any podcasts that have really helped you um, with good advice on your parenting journey. Uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. I love you. Oh, hi. I love you too. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Um, I think this is going to be a, a fairly quick answer for me because I don't have that many, to be honest. Um, when I was pregnant, I bought a the first time I bought a gazillion amount of pregnancy books. I didn't buy any parenting books. I was just focused on like you know, the first phase, which I thought was like the hardest and the biggest. And yeah, no, (laughs) I thought I would reach the the finish line of giving birth and be done. But it's like, oh, wait, now I'm a mother. Shit. (laughs) Like that's when the heavy work begins. Like that's when the journey begins. Oh my God. I didn't really buy any parenting books. Um, I bought one recently that I cannot tell you that much about because I haven't started reading it yet other than I had so many people recommend it to me and it's called The Last Child in the Woods. Well, let me double check to see that I'm not lying. Yeah, the book is called Last Child in the Woods. It's by Richard Louv and uh, it's called Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder. Um, Yeah, or that's the little, little subheading. 
And um, I just heard really great things. So I think it's, I, I assume it's a book about staying really connected to nature, you know, as you parent and, and having your children grow up with that connection to nature. But I haven't read it yet. So it'd be ridiculous for me to review it here or tell you to, to buy it. I hear it's great. The one, uh, really, the one person I follow on social media I follow a couple parenting, like more kind of homesteading or kind of like wild free parenting accounts, but I could only tell you one single social media account of a person that I follow whose content I actually really digest and whose content I often forward to my friends who are also parents. And that is Dr. Becky. And she's really famous, <laughs> so maybe maybe you're following and listening and you know reading her books and, and doing all that stuff already. On Instagram, she's Dr. Becky at Good Inside. Um, but you can just put Dr. Becky on Instagram, and you'll you'll find her. And the reason I love her so much is that she affirms everything I'm already doing. Um, I really have this very strong, intuitive way of parenting where I. My main focus every day as I move through life with my daughter is I want her to feel seen. I want her to feel heard. Um, I don't want her bulldozed or bypassed because I'm the parent and we're the parents and she's the child and she's supposed to listen or she's supposed to do this stuff. And I really, really want her to feel seen and safe in all of her emotions and that I don't miss anything as she goes through and navigates that kind of emotional roller coaster that is being a six-year-old. And Dr. Becky, so she does these little video snippets and uh, I, I, I think she has a, po I've listened to a few podcast episodes. I think I listened to her on Glennon Doyle's podcast, which is a podcast I really love. Um, they had, her and Abby had uh, Dr. Becky on, I think a couple times. I, I listened to those episodes So I really recommend them. And just her overall, her approach really is just making sure that our children feel seen and believed when they tell us something. And her approach is that anything very challenging to navigate, any tantrums, any uh, behavior that's difficult, anything that we're struggling with as parents usually stems from a feeling of disconnect or a feeling from the child's end of being alone or not being believed or not being seen. And I just, it's, it's how I, it's how I parent like 100%. Like when Leia comes to me with something today, I literally just now she was on the couch. I was just coming in to record this podcast and I sat down and I was like, Hey, how was, how was your day today? And she goes, it was not good. And I'm like, Oh, oh no, what happened? What do you want to tell me about it? And then she starts listing names at her school <laughs> She's so cute in how she does this. She says, she lists names, girl names. Uh, and I don't want to repeat the exact names of who goes to her school. But say it says she, she says, Anna, Isabel, Olivia, uh, Jenny, and Alice. And I'm like, oh no, is she going to say like all these names? Were they like horrible to her? They were mean to her? Some, <gasps> is she getting bullied? Like my brain is like, she's just listing all these names from these girls in her school. And I'm thinking at the end of this is going to be something bad because she said she had a bad day. And then she lists, she lists like eight names. And then she goes, we're the only ones who were really nice to me and playing with me all day. <laughs> 
and she she only has like 11 kids in her group. <laughs> so so basically everyone almost, right? Like majority of everyone in her class played with her and were super nice to her all day. And my gut reaction would be like, but that's amazing, honey. Like you have you have those eight girls that you're like friends with that you played with all day that were nice to you all day. Like that's like, that's great. Like, focus on them, you know. But she came to me saying she had a hard day. Like, she's saying she had a bad day. And to her, the fact that the other three, who she chose to not focus on, even by name or what happened or anything, but that not everybody, there's something about the not everybody was included in that, like, everything is great moment. Like, that was enough for her to feel like she had a hard day. And that was a hard thing. So instead of saying, like, no, but don't worry about that. Or, you know, some people are just not everybody wants to play all the time or, you know, to kind of fix it for her or reassure her with something. I just say, oh, yeah, that that must be so hard, huh? So you didn't play with everyone today. She goes, no, I didn't play with everyone. I said, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. I remember that feeling when I was little. I always wanted everyone to play with me all day. And that's really true. That's That's who I was when I was little too. And, and sometimes not everybody wants to, and that's hard. And then she goes, yeah, that's hard. But I had so much time, so much fun with Jenny and we did this and we did that. And we did. And then she goes on with her story and like that moment is, is gone. And the whole point was not to fix something for her or an issue or to get to the bottom of a complicated dynamic between some friend at school that didn't want to play with her today. Like the whole point is she's just wanting to connect with me. And wants to see, to feel seen and heard in that feeling of not everybody played with me today. And I sometimes, I, I, I tend to go to very great lengths just to, to make sure that I catch her in all of her big feelings. You know, that she doesn't have, that she doesn't have to have that disconnect that we, all of us, you know, had so many times as kids, suck it up, you know, that's not so bad or everything's fine or just, just, just you know, appreciate the people that you have, or, you know, our parents would tell us things to just stop crying or, you know, appreciate, I don't know, I'm trying to find examples, but I can't find good examples. But that feeling of just, actually, I just want someone to validate me and affirm that what I'm feeling makes sense. I actually very rarely need someone to come in and like fix all of my problems and change the world for me. I just, I just want to know, like, I'm, I'm like, you got me, right? You see me. Anyway, that was a long answer to <laughs> what parenting books should I read? So all I can say is, yeah, Dr. Becky, I love, I haven't even read her book. Um, so I just, I, I parent from an intuitive, <laughs> emotional place and not so much from, from reading. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you for asking. Hi, Rachel. This is Tara. I'm calling from Jersey City, New Jersey in the United States. Um, and I've been mulling over this question and thought it might be a good one to pose to you. Um, I'm recently starting to get back on track with a sort of fitness routine after being very lapsed and taking care of my body for a lot of reasons. Um, and I'd like to set some goals for myself to do with fitness, but... I have a history of sort of being very all or nothing when it comes to exercise and either really, really overdoing it and having it lead to sort of disordered eating. 
um, or and I also am afraid that if I set a goal for myself, I will not want to naturally exercise so much because it'll feel like something that I have to do instead of something that I want to do. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on sort of healthy goal setting in that way. Thanks so much. Bye. Oh, hi, Tara. Yes, I actually, I, I do have some advice here. So the the first thing that comes to me, and this is, I think, true for so many of us, is how conditioned we have been been our whole entire lives to anything around fitness or health or wellness, especially when it comes to big sweeping changes or um, doing something differently or starting a new routine or regime or whatever, is to immediately think of the long term like end goal, right? We look at oftentimes we look at exercise as something like that, like, okay, it's something that we're supposed to do because I want to lose this amount of weight. Or at the end of all of this, I want to be able to fit into those pants or I want to look a certain way or I want to, it's so, it's so strong in our minds that exercise is something that we do to fit into this box of what society says exercise does. Calories in, calories out. I mean, if there's something I wish I'd never learned in my whole fucking life (laughs) is the word calorie. Like I, I just, I just, I. I get, I get, I get angry saying the word calorie because it bothers me so much now because I used to spend so much of my life thinking of life that way. Um, So much of my, my whole teenage years were just filled with, okay, well, I ate this much. So how fast and for how long do I have to run on a treadmill now to negate that? Right. And then they would, they would write, they would write in those like, you know, women's magazine and the stupid gossip magazines that I always bought when I was a teenager, one pizza slice, like 449 calories. That means you have to run like 100 miles. I mean, I don't even know how many calories are in a pizza slice, but like that equals this amount of exercise and the anxiety of that, like, oh, wait, I ate a slice of pizza. Now I have to go do, you know, it's, it's so toxic this way of looking at life. And I, I so hope our generation is the last to 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 live with it but even though I know that's not the case so what I would love to pose is the idea of when we're moving our bodies we're exercising whether it's day-to-day kind of exercise that we do casually or if it's like we're starting something brand new with a purpose we want to you know feeling reinvigorated and want to take care of our bodies and that we start looking at the now result versus the, it's been two weeks that I lose weight result. It's been one month. Am I doing this better result? It's, uh, you know, even the result of, am I faster now? Am I stronger now? Setting those kinds of goals, like they're so body oriented and so fixed result oriented that it's really easy to lose the motivation because of that. I'm the same way. Um, If I set a really serious goal, I feel pressure all of a sudden. Like if I'm running and I'm like, okay, I want to run this fast or this far, I suddenly, I'm not running because I feel good running. I'm not running because running makes me feel joy. I'm not running because of the feeling I have after a run immediately following. I'm running now because I have to get to a place. I have to get better. I have to improve. And there's pressure. 
Not for everyone. Some people really thrive with those kinds of goals. For me, it's just, it, it doesn't work. So when I say the now results, meaning exercising because it makes us feel fucking good. Like really, like the immediate benefits of exercise, the endorphins that release in your body, the blood flowing through your veins, like the, the immediate mental health and energetic benefits of exercise, the immediate benefits to our mood. Like go turn on three great songs right now. Have a really wild dance party, like all in, all out, like really sweat for three songs and try to feel depressed. <laughs> I mean, it's just such an immediate elevator of our, of, it just elevates our mood, our energy, our feeling about life, feelings of confidence and empowerment, and sometimes feelings of just peace and calm and quiet. Like all of those things, that feeling of having just exercised, that feeling that comes right along with moving our bodies. Like we always just skip past those. Like those are not the goal. That's just something that's great that comes with it, but we don't really focus on that. We, we focus on the losing weight or changing our bodies or fitting into the other pants or whatever the thing is, right? Fitting in with society, like <laughs> as a whole. And I think when I look at moving my body as now, like I'm getting on my yoga mat now, and how do I feel about that now? Not did it accumulate over time and now three years later I look different? Or even did it accumulate over time and three years later I feel different? But like, how do I feel right now? Here's how I felt stepping onto my yoga mat. How do I feel at the end of Shavasana? Here's how I feel before putting on my running shoes. Here's how I feel coming back from my run. Like here's the hour immediately following that movement, like literally moving life energy through my precious, precious body. Um, and I think those goals, like the goal is for me to feel good now and then fuck what's tomorrow. Maybe I won't feel motivated tomorrow. Maybe I won't do it tomorrow. Maybe I'll never lose any weight. Maybe I'll never get faster. Maybe like fuck all of that. Like I'm exercising and moving my body because it's good for me because I feel good in the moment that I do it. And that's it. Like That's the goal. And then I don't have to have any pressure around what that movement looks like. Did I take a very, like, did I take a long walk today? Did I like walk the dogs? <laughs> did I do yoga? Did I sweat? Did I take a super intense fitness class? Did I go to the gym? Did I, it doesn't matter, right? The point is I'm moving because my body feels good when I move. I feel good when I move. My heart feels good when I move. Like my soul sings when I move. And it works every time. <laughs> That's also the bizarre thing. It's like I can have the hardest, hardest, hardest day and or the hardest time, right? Hard cycle in life. Moving my body is always going to be helpful, but it's not helpful when I do it because something's wrong with me. Because I, I have the idea that I'm not good enough, that I'm not pretty enough, that I'm not thin enough, that I'm whatever enough. You know, it's it's good for me when I move just to move. So maybe this is not the answer that you wanted at all. Maybe you were looking for more, you know, something like long-term goal-oriented. But I really think when we start moving and it becomes a part of our just life, it's all of a sudden not this thing we have to force to keep. Right? Does that make sense? I think so many of us, it's like we're, like you say, we're on or off. 
all in with exercise, all in with fitness, all in with perfect healthy eating, all in with this thing that we do because it's supposed to like change our lives and we can't keep that up. It's impossible to keep something up that we're doing for an outside reason, especially if it's coming from from a from a negative place or from a judgmental or hateful place or a pressured place. No, we're not going to keep that lifestyle up. But when we just like move our bodies a little bit every day because it makes us brings us joy, like that's a different thing. So how can I incorporate that every day and not have fitness and health be such a big fucking deal? Someone sent me something yesterday. Let me read it. Okay, so one of my best friends sent me something yesterday. She just forwarded a post on Instagram. And this is written by Wildly Wildly Ons Wellness. And I, I, don't, I don't know so much about this account, so I can't speak about that. But this post, uh, it goes like this. Dieting is never the answer. Whether it's detoxes, cleanses, paleo, keto, low-carb, carnivore, vegan, AIP, anti-inflammatory, restriction, etc. Women that have dieted for the sake of their symptoms, their newfound holistic health obsession, spiritual practices, or to lose weight end up in a worse place in the end. It always backfires in time. The women obsessed with the holistic health space are actually the most unhealthy and unhappy individuals. Living in a perfect little controlled health bubble is actually a thousand times more harmful than someone that has food freedom and does not allow any diet or way of eating. There is a fine line between creating healthy habits and living a healthy lifestyle and being health obsessed to where it takes over your entire life. And just this one sentence, living in a perfect little controlled health bubble is actually a thousand times more harmful than someone that has food freedom. I, it just hit me. And this is as someone who has been through so many ups and downs of health fads and cleanses and dealing with illness and mold and being vegan and restricting what I ate for so many years. And like I've, 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 it's not until now, really, that's what giving up veganism really brought me as a feeling of freedom, not having to live in a perfectly controlled little health bubble. And I think I, I used to do that with fitness, with working out as well, like a perfect little bubble of here is what I have to do for everything to be under control and for, for me to be good versus like, like life is, is meant to be lived literally. And if we obsess about every single time we move or not move our bodies and how we do and how long we moved, every single thing we eat, you know, what was in it? Did we eat too much? Do we eat too little? Is it good? Is it bad? It's just that way of thinking, regardless of how we are moving or what it is we are eating. It's that way of thinking, that way of living. That's the most toxic part. It's so restrictive and restrictive of our joy and our freedom. And I just got to a place like giving up veganism for me was this like kick my shoes off. All bets are off. Fuck it. <laughs> really in a major way. <laughs> like I just, I just want to be free. And that somehow has led me to making choices that at the end of the day end up being better for me <laughs> just because I stopped trying so freaking hard. And now like, I ate Haagen-Dazs ice cream on the couch yesterday. 
I, I haven't like, I, I didn't think of it until now, like sitting here, like, what have I done recently that I would like a while ago never do, you know, I'm mostly eating a very whole foods, home cooked, home, you know, grounded diet. But I also have the freedom to eat things with whatever in it. And I don't think about it again. That's it. Like, I'm not going to, that a pint of ice cream is not going to come back to haunt me and make me feel like I, I did, I made a mistake or now I have to go move to this point of getting those calories out of, out of my system. Like that whole way of living, which is so conditioned in us, especially as women, as normal. It's not normal. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal and, and right or good or the way things are supposed to be. So I am just in a place right now of no rules, no goals. <laughs> like what is like the thing I can do that really makes me feel free? And especially when it comes to movement, just freedom of movement and movement for the now benefit of, yeah, that feels fucking awesome when I'm done. Like that's enough. I hope this made sense. Sorry, I'm cursing so much. Um, I feel I have a lot of feelings. <laughs> about this. Okay. I'm going to take one last question. I could sit here talking to you all day, all day. This, these episodes could be three hours long, like absolutely. But last question of the day. Hi, Rachel. My name is Emily. I'm calling in from Florida in the United States. Thank you so much for all that you create and welcome into each of our lives with this podcast and just your platform and creating a lot of beautiful space for personally for me to feel and acknowledge and to process while I'm listening to what you're going through and processing through. Thank you again so much. Uh, my question is, or not so much question, but your take on what I'm Venturing into, I'm starting a grad school program for nutrition and dietetics. This has been my dream for eight years now, and I'm, I'm here. I'm starting next month. I have a, four, a five-year-old who's going to be six in the summer, and we're starting school. My husband's also in school, and it's just a lot going on. So my question for you is, what are some of the top rituals that you um, – recommend or what would you do in the situation where you're entering into the next two years of your life where it's going to be kind of chaotic and and crazy and especially going into the semester the first semester so um, let me know what kind of rituals you would recommend or how you would get ready for a new kind of hectic but really beautifully productive season thanks so much and have a beautiful day oh hi emily Congratulations on so many things <laughs> happening at the same time. Wow, wow. Um, the first thing that I would want to share, just picking up from how you asked the question, is the more times we affirm that something is going to be a particular way, the more we make it so. And the reason I'm saying that right away is I am thinking about this a lot for myself right now as I am preparing to give birth. Um, I'm kind of, I'm 30 weeks pregnant. I have, say, 10 to 13 weeks, hopefully not more than that, um, of pregnancy left. I feel like I'm in the middle of like the beginning of kind of like a marathon. And I keep, I keep thinking and I keep saying, oh, you know, it's, 
it's just going to get harder from here. The end of pregnancy is so hard because it was very hard for me with my, with my first daughter. The last weeks were very, very hard. The end of pregnancy is going to be so hard. Oh my God, it's just going to get harder. I have this idea in my head that I'm, I'm, I'm at the bottom of a mountain and I'm going to climb it, right? And it just hit me the other day that I am really making sure that the last weeks of my pregnancy are hard and heavy by affirming that they are going to be every single fucking day. I keep say, I keep telling myself, I keep telling my husband, I keep telling other people, I'm just preparing for this hard, hard, hard thing. It's like, but actually, who knows? Who knows? Like, who knows if it's going to be this big uphill, terrible climb? Like, why am I <laughs> bringing that into my life? Why am I affirming that and speaking that out loud again and again and again, when reality actually is, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, probably it's not going to be like the easiest, you know, it's not going to be like, I was going to say going to Disneyland, but going to Disneyland sounds like climbing Mount Everest <laughs> to me, right? It sounds like a nightmare. Um, it's probably not going to be like a spa vacation, right? But when I affirm that to myself again and again, I really cement that into place. And reality is this pregnancy so far has been completely different from my first pregnancy. It's not been the same at all. It's been so much easier in so many ways. It's been harder in so many ways. My life is completely different. My lifestyle is completely different. I'm entering an unknown space. I, I have no idea what the universe has in store, what my body has in store, what this baby has in store. So I have decided to change the tune of that, just to change how I phrase it and not just how I phrase it to other people when people ask how I feel about the end of pregnancy and birth and stuff, but how I phrase it to myself because that's the most important thing. And allow myself the opportunity and possibility to get excited about the last weeks of pregnancy, to get into a cocoon of just quiet and solitude and nature and sacred, sacred space and looking at it as I'm actually entering ceremony in the last weeks of my pregnancy. I'm entering what possibly could be the most spiritually transformational time of my life. Whoa. And all of a sudden I'm looking at my final time with excitement. I'm looking at my final time with reverence. I'm all of a sudden, instead of thinking of how things are going to be hard and how do I mitigate that? I'm thinking of, wait, like what are some, what are some things I could incorporate into that? Like what are some things I could create or invite or, you know, and all of a sudden different feelings, different thoughts, different things are coming my way. And I actually don't believe anymore that I'm going to have that horrible heart experience that I kind of had decided for myself I was going to have, <laughs> you know? So I, I am sharing this because you said two or three times, like it's going to be very hectic, right? It's going to be very hectic. It's going to be very intense. It's going to be very hard. Um, and, and, and it might be, right? It might be all of those things and it might be exactly those things, but there is a possibility that it's not. There is an opening in the future that is coming your way, that it's not hectic, that it's not overwhelming, that it's not stressful, that it's exciting and fun, and that you totally manage. Like, 
there is a possibility there's a future version of these two years where you thrive, where you totally freaking thrive. And you manage to find this beautiful balance between school and parenting and home life. And that that's it. That it's not something that you look back at as a hectic, overwhelming time, but something you look back at as deeply grounding and nourishing, where you learned so much, where you got to soak up so much wisdom. Like, I, I just, I want you to invite the possibility of that. And maybe just start rewriting what you are affirming to yourself every day as you get closer and closer to this new cycle in your life. Because all it really is, is a, it's a new cycle. Um, and I think by just changing how we talk to ourselves in that way, it can actually change how we experience the cycle itself, right? Um, so that's my first piece of advice. And, and I think about this so much, like how we talk to ourselves, the words we speak, the things we have decided are a certain way or going to be a certain way, they actually shape and form our lives. Like it's so freaking true. It hit me today. I was thinking about, I, I, I've had this narrative inside that it's hard for me to let go. <laughs> it's just something like I've always had that idea. It's hard for me to let go. It's hard for me to let go. And it hit me today. It's like, is it? Is it hard for me to let go? Or is that an old story? Is that like, it was hard for me to let go. Yeah, actually, I, I let go fairly easily now. Actually, I'm not that person anymore, but I still have that record spinning in my head, right? So I think it's beautiful to get into the practice of examining the stories we tell ourselves, especially the big important ones, right? Especially the ones that can end up shaping the experience that we have of life. So new phrases, new words, that's really a, a good place to, yeah, to inquire into. And then the other piece of advice that I would give is probably rather than starting up certain kinds of practices or rituals, or um, I'm talking spiritual practices or self-care rituals that, that we feel like we need to do to make it through a time that's going to be potentially stressful or intense. Sometimes we, we, we think, okay, I need to do this. If I wake up at this hour every day and I have, you know, I do it this way, or I, you know, make sure that I am I'm meditating at this exact time in this way every day, or I'm doing my, you know, we, we start to think of those kinds of things that we want to add to the, to the day. What I would look at instead just as a parent and just as a, someone with a, with a family is how can I create a grounded, sacred time, like a grounded moment in the day? And we don't even, we don't even have to call it a ritual, right? Because it's just going to become that once you, once you do it again and again. But a really grounded moment in my day that centers around the whole family versus just like the grounded moment in my day that I need on my own and that I need to like squeeze in to make happen whether that's, you know, like like the yoga practice or whatever the things that we do in addition to our to our regular day. How can I create some form of ritual together with my whole family where we have a moment to really ground and connect together and that that becomes the non-negotiable ritual. And that in and of itself is self-care, that is a spiritual practice. For me in our family here, it's our breakfast. <laughs> Uh, every every day we have a sit down breakfast with candles lit 
on the table. There's always a bouquet of flowers. Um, even if we're eating something not super crazy elaborate, like it's served on a nice plate and we have, we have a moment together. It's never like, you know, butter on toast and out the door. And then one other person is doing something different. And it's like, we have a moment as a family every single day where we eat and it's how we begin our day. It's a moment to talk. It's a moment to, you know, talk about how we slept and it's just a moment, right? But that moment is so sacred. Like it really, really is so sacred. And most days we have the same kind of dinner as well. Like we have that moment of we set the table really nicely every evening for dinner. We light candles every evening for dinner. We have a beautiful meal and moment together every day. Somehow that works for us. I know for a lot of people that do, you know, having those two moments every day doesn't always work. But for us, that's something that works. And I don't, I, I wouldn't compromise that, right, for, for anything. But so, yeah, so what is a moment or a ritual or something that you can make sure that everyone is included in where you have a chance to ground and connect and talk to each other and unwind? You know, whether that's a little moment that you have with your husband and, and I can't remember if you said you had one or two kids, but right before bed, it's something that you do after you brush your teeth. Do you do a little moment of gratitude? Do you just have that like non-negotiable time around the kitchen table where you actually talk and see each other? What's the moment in the day that you can carve out, even if it's very short, that can become a ritual that really holds you in that time? And of course, you cater it around what you need. Maybe the thing that you need is not exactly that, right? Maybe what you need is solitude and it's time for yourself. Or, But if I was, if that was me, I would make sure I had that family kind of ritual before I had that ritual just for myself, especially if the hectic, potential hecticness <laughs> involves family life, right? But those are my only... Uh, those are, those are, that's all I got to say. I really have a feeling you're going to have a wonderful, wonderful season here. Like truly, truly. And uh, hopefully not at all too hectic, right? Hopefully something that you can absolutely manage and that's totally within your ability and capability to hold. You got this. <laughs> I want to thank you all for sending such beautiful questions that I resonate with so, so much. I am going to go downstairs and have my dinner <laughs> with my family and enjoy the curtains that we now have in our kitchen that I'm so excited about. Um, but thank you so much for being here. I really, truly, like, I don't know if you know even how much you make my life, truly. Like how much having this podcast and this ability to speak and be heard and listen to you and have this just it, it 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 changes my life i'm sitting here 30 weeks pregnant there's not that much i can do and i'm like so excited to come here and record and talk to you every single week and um i'm just so grateful right now so thank you for listening thanks for being here i'll be back next week Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.